Thank you, guys. Um, hey. Goodness, I almost feel like we just say amen, benediction, go, right? Um, if there's anything, anything I hope you take from everything that's happened today, it's that. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Everything that we're gonna, about to hear, um, I hope your big takeaway is, is Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is enough. He's all you need. Well, hey, um, I'm going to take a little bit to compose myself here. Um, really excited to have the Bennett family here. Uh, and until, uh, it's just going to be a few more short weeks until they'll be here permanently and you'll be hearing from Pastor Jake weekly. But until then, we're going to continue in our series in Colossians. Um, this is Paul's letter to this, this little church that he'd never met before. And it's a letter, which again fits with the song really well. It's a letter all about Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only, and Jesus always. So as you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter one, we're gonna read verses 24, go into the second chapter, down to verse five. Hey, while you're turning there, um, let me ask you, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And I hear the snarky among you. You're saying my alarm, or my kids, or my dog. No, I mean, I mean seriously though, right? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your motivation? Your motivation for doing this, for doing life. What, what gets you through those rough past, uh, patches of life, right? When it's all laid out there, what is it that's driving you? What's your motivation for doing life and the way that you're doing it? Today, we're gonna get a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's motivation. Here's my hope for us. That looking at what he has to say, hope his, the, his motivation will also affect us and give us motivation for how we do life. Right? So if you're able and willing, uh, please stand. That's our habit here. Out of respect as we read the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I've had for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Friends, it's the true word of the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we come before your word, 
It is alternately a challenge and a comfort. Father, I, I just ask that where we need to be challenged, we would hear your words pushing us, but not toward performance, but toward you. Father, where we need to be comforted, I pray that we wouldn't find comfort in ourselves and our ability to just screw it together and just make it happen, but in you, Lord, you alone, who invite us to come and, and taste of your strength and, and to celebrate your riches. Lord, make these next few minutes all about you. That's what we're here for. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, the power of your spirit for the glory of the Father. Amen. Greg, grab a seat. All right, hey, uh, just before we start, a reminder, Colossians is a letter. And you're like, yeah, thank you very much. I, I know that. Uh, here's why. I'm giving you that reminder. So guess how much time it took the first readers of this letter to get from verse 23 to verse 24. All of like 0.2 seconds, probably. How much has it taken us? How much time has it taken us to get from verse 23 to verse 24? It's taken a week. Why do I say that, right? Hey, we're supposed to understand our passage in light of what we just heard last week. See, where, where Paul, the, the early Christian missionary, uh, was exalting Jesus as the one that the Colossians needed, the one that the world needs, Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus always, right? So guess who it is that motivates Paul? It's Jesus. Guess, guess uh, whose Paul life mission, who, who, who's, who it was that Paul's life mission was all about. Guess what that mystery is that Paul seeks to make known in the whole world. It's Jesus. All right, that's the whole sermon right there. But don't get excited yet, all right? Uh, the mission, that's our point, first point. The mission is Jesus. The mystery is Jesus. Now let's unpack that. Let's unpack so that we can learn more about our Jesus, all right? So let's start with the mission. There's a whole lot going on in these verses, right? Uh, but don't get lost in the forest for the trees. What, what, what's Paul's big takeaway here? What Paul is telling the Colossians is, I have been entrusted with a mission. He calls it a stewardship in verse 25, right? So what was the purpose of that mission? What did the Lord tasked Paul to do? We can see it in uh, verse 25 right here. He says, um, to make the word of God fully known. All right, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Why does it matter? Question, why does God speak? Why does God speak? He speaks because if he didn't, we couldn't know him, right? See, that's the foundation of any relationship. Self-disclosure is, is what relationship is all about. That's what, what you build a relationship on. Just think about it. How much of a relationship have you had with somebody who absolutely refuses to communicate with you? Doesn't work, right? At most, what you get is kind of like, they seem off. You don't have much of a relationship there at all, okay? Uh, so if you're not willing to do self-disclosure, you're not going to enjoy much more than a superficial relationship, right? And friends, as somebody who's had plenty of social anxiety myself, I know this like from painful firsthand experience. If you don't open up, you're not known, right? So just as a quick little practical aside, right, uh, for, for all my shy friends in small group and for those who might hide behind a wall of words without actual like content and self-disclosure, here, here's my encouragement to you. Open up, open up, 
Because it's in that self-disclosure, it's in opening up that you get to have that relation, the relationships that we all long for, that we all so need. Open up, okay? That's just, again, that, that's a practical aside, but that's how the Lord built this world, right? That's how God set things up. That's how he engages with us. He enters into relationship with us and he discloses himself to us. Why? Because he wants to be known. He wants you to know him. And how did he do that? Well, first, by acts of power, which then he would explain, which is what the whole Old Testament's all about. God demonstrating himself and then explaining what he's just done, okay? But even that wasn't enough self-disclosure for God. So he became flesh. God took on a human body. And for a lot of reasons, but one of them, one of the primary ones being, wanted us to know him. To know him. Face-to-face kind of knowledge, right? So he wanted us to know him. And and y'all, I know. Uh, it, it seems like an old, old story for those of us who are Christians here, maybe have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but this was fresh news. This was like uh, incredibly like hot off the presses in Paul's day. This was unusual. Here's the thing. That news was what Paul's message, what Paul's mission was all about. Look at verse 28, right? Uh, him. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who, who became flesh, who took on flesh to rescue the world, him we proclaim. That was the content of Paul's message. See, Paul's, Paul's message, his mission was to make the word of God fully known by telling the world about King Jesus, the one who was the full and the ultimate expression of God's self-disclosure. King Jesus. Everything had been building up to him. King Jesus, who, who every word that God spoke of in the Old Testament was pointing to. The mystery had been revealed. The Christ had come, the God-man. He had shown himself to his saints, as, as Paul says in verse uh, 26 here. Uh, the people that he had set aside for himself. And now the rest of the world needed to hear that news. Because they didn't know it. The rest of the world needed to hear Christ had come. God could be known, and he had come personally to be known. So, no surprise, right? Jesus was the purpose of Paul's mission. Jesus was the content of Paul's message. And of course, Jesus was the goal of Paul's discipleship. When he thought about engaging with other people, what he wanted most to see in other people Jesus. Look at that. Tail end of verse 28. In order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? Christian, what's the end goal for you? What's the end goal? What, what does God want for you? It's Christ. It's Christ. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. The image that we talked about in, the, in last week's sermon. The one who perfectly mirrors God as, as we all were meant to, right? It, it's, it's loving what Jesus loves and living into the world the way he did in perfect submission to the Father. Christ-likeness. See, that was Paul's goal. That was his mission for, for those that he served because it's the Lord's mission for all of us. It's, it's why Jesus came, right? To show us... Uh, he came for our Christ-likeness, that we might know him and become more like him. So that was Paul's goal. 
That was Paul's goal for uh, his mission. Question. Christian, is that your mission? Is that your goal for yourself? Is that what you want? Is that what your life is built around? Is that your goal for yourself? And is it your goal for the other image bearers who surround you, right? So what that looks like is if, if they're Christians, then it's praying for and seeking to advance Christ-likeness, Jesus' image in, in the folks around you. And if they're not Christians, then it's, then it's praying and seeking to advance, like introduce people who don't know Christ to the one who can restore that image. Is that your goal? Is that your goal? So Paul's purpose was to make the word of God fully known uh, by proclaiming Christ in the hopes of seeing others mature in Christ-likeness and mature in the image of Jesus. That mission got Paul out of bed every morning. That mission was what motivated him. It propelled him around the world. So here's the question. It's the, it's the check-in question. Is that, our, is that our mission? Is that our purpose? Is that what we see our life about? To see Jesus encountered, known, shown by others. Hey, let's just, let's just be brutally honest, right? Because church is a place where you can do that. It's hard to be brutally honest anywhere else, but you should be able to do it here, right? Uh, odds are... That's not our mission, personally, right? Just saying it. Odds are, for each of us, we've got something. We've got something that is motivating us, something that is getting us out of bed in the morning. Um, what is it, though? Like, look into that. Do, do, do a soul dive, either in your small groups, maybe later on this week. What is it that is driving you? What's your mission? When life gets hard, muddled, complicated, painful, because life tends to do that, right? What's your motivation? What's the reason that you get up and do it all over again? What's your purpose? And, and is it an engine powerful enough to pull the train of your life through the hills and valleys all the way to its final destination? Because if it's not, then we need to swap engines, right? We need to find one that has power to trade our purpose for one that has power. So let's talk a little bit about that. Power like the, the, the one that Paul enjoyed. All right, think about it. Paul had a huge mission to make Jesus known by all. That's impossible. That's a huge mission. But not only was that difficult as, as in scope, it cost him a lot. Right? And Paul's really honest about it. He's honest about all the suffering he went through. You look at verse 24, suffering, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Look at verse 29 through the end of, or through the beginning of chapter 2. He talks about toil, struggle, great struggle. Hey, there's nothing like suffering for a mission to test your motivation, right? To, to really push your sense of, of purpose and resolve in that purpose. There's nothing like suffering to do that. And yet Paul remained motivated. For all the suffering that he endured, Paul remained motivated on his mission. Why? Like, how, how could he remain motivated? All right, I think there are two things, okay? First, Paul could celebrate that he got to suffer like Jesus. He could celebrate that he got to suffer like Jesus. Okay, look at verse 24. He says, uh, filling up what is lacking 
and the afflictions of Christ. Okay, so what does that mean? First, we have to, because you can misunderstand that, so we have to talk about what it doesn't mean. So it doesn't mean that uh, Paul somehow believed that Jesus' sufferings weren't enough to save God's people. You want to know why? Because the Paul who just finished celebrating Jesus' sufficiency and his power and supremacy and all that, that's not what he would say. Jesus was everything for Paul. Jesus alone was sufficient, right? So what's Paul actually saying? So Paul's actually saying, like, just like Jesus suffered for his body, the church, so now Paul, who had once caused, caused so much suffering to God's people, now Paul gets the privilege to suffer for God's church. He gets to suffer on behalf of it. He, he, he gets to pour his ounce or two into the, the cup of collective suffering filled by God's collective people. Uh, the cup that um, will one day become the cup of God's wrath to be drained on the last day by the nations who have caused the suffering of God's people. If you want to know more about the imagery there and the cup that kind of runs all through the scriptures, come talk to me afterwards. Um, but here's the question, right? How? Like, okay, so... Maybe Paul's just a weirdo. He's a masochist. He, he loves suffering. But how is it that suffering could empower or motivate Paul? How is it? Why could he celebrate that he got to suffer like Jesus? A tough one. I don't know why. Remember, remember the goal of discipleship? What's the goal of discipleship? It's Jesus. The goal of discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. That was Paul's goal for the people he ministered to. It's also his goal for himself, right? And there is, there is nothing. I mean, most of us know uh, when, when, um, when we have to go through hard times just in general, that does a lot to build your character. But more than that, there is nothing like suffering for someone else's good that more powerfully displays Jesus in and through us. There's nothing like suffering for somebody else that more powerfully displays Jesus in and through us. Think about it, okay? Giving up a Sunday to serve all our littles in nursery, that sounds like Jesus. Getting here early and staying late so that you can set up so that other people can worship, that sounds like Jesus. Opening up your home and your life so to, to loving your small group, well, that sounds like Jesus. Whether it's communion, serving in worship, uh, Holy Cross kids, hospitality, student ministry, running audiovisual, doing the readings, uh, church finance, uh, serving on Gen Hope, serving the church as deacons, leading it as elders. Y'all, if it's done in this church, it's because people are giving time and effort and money to make that happen. And that sounds like Jesus, right? Uh, and that's not even suffering. I know some people might laugh. They're like, well, take that back, Kent. I suffer plenty on my ministry team. <laughs> but really, though, like, it's not even really suffering unless you get bit by a kid in nursery, which doesn't happen, by the way. Um, it's not even actually really suffering. So how much more when we actually endure hardship for somebody else do we look like Jesus who's at work in us, Right? Which leads us to the second thing that gave Paul power to endure. Plain and simply, y'all, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. See, serving, let alone suffering for others, that's just not natural to us as human beings. And it wasn't natural for Paul. It only happens, verse 29, 
because Jesus is the one at work who empowers us with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. Friends, there is nothing that we do as Christians for Christ that we do alone, that he isn't in and that he isn't empowering, right? So just as a practical thing, um, if you don't think you have the energy right now to serve the Lord, Right now, you're just like, I just don't, I don't, I know that I've got what it takes. Let me, let me encourage you a little bit. Um, give it a shot. Give it a shot. See if Jesus doesn't empower you to serve. Because none of us have the power to do this. None of us are capable of doing this on our own. The only reason any of this happens is because Jesus is at work. So if you don't feel like you got the energy, give it a shot. See if Jesus will fill you. Hey, if, if you're currently serving, you're like, I'm feeling burnt out. There are a lot of reasons for that. Hear me, okay? There are a lot of reasons you might, uh, it, it's a good thing to take a break. You need to rest and all that sort of stuff. But there's something else I, I would ask you to consider. Uh, could it be that we've just lost sight of, of the mission, the power behind it, right? Sometimes, I've noticed in my own life, I get burnt out when I just get so caught up in the minutia of everything and I forget why am I doing this in the first place? I'm doing this for Jesus, for him, that he, others might encounter, know, and show him, that I might encounter, know, and show him. So consider if you're feeling burnt out, if you're, if you're on the fence about serving and so forth, Remember that Jesus is the one who empowers us. And sometimes it's just an act of faith to step into that and saying, Lord, would you move in and through me? Because I don't have it right now. All right, so that Paul was motivated by the mission to make Jesus known by all. That was his purpose. And he was empowered uh, to do it by Jesus and, and, and the joy of becoming more and more like Jesus, even in suffering. But hey, what, what made this mission truly compelling, what made this mission uh, worthy of all the suffering that Paul endured and something that he would ultimately die for was the mystery. The mystery of Jesus himself. Right. Hey, the, the word mystery shows up uh, three times in our passage. Uh, you, can, you can count them. Verse 26, verse 27, chapter two, verse two. And in case you missed it, the mystery very plainly it's Christ. It's Jesus. You can see that most clearly here in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, uh, let's see here, chapter 2, verse 2, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Are you a little disappointed? Does that feel a little anticlimactic? You're like, well, I was hoping for something more than that, right? Hey, why, why would Paul call King Jesus the mystery? Right? Seems fairly obvious to me. Why is that the mystery? All right, well, first, remember, right? There were these mystery religions out there, these local folk religions uh, that the Colossians lived among. We talked about those a couple weeks ago. These were the folk religions, literally called mystery religions, right? Uh, where there were these different tiers of knowledge. And that knowledge remained a mystery to you until you accomplished the next level up in that mystery, that next highest level. So the Colossians, they had this fear. Were they missing out on the mystery? The key that unlocked the secret to life's successes. Ah, does that sound familiar? The piece of insider info 
I mean, just look at uh, chapter two, ver- the language in chapter two, verses two and three, right? That would pour out the riches and treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? So what's Paul doing in calling Jesus a mystery? He's saying to the Colossians, y'all, um, you wanna know what life's mystery is all about? You wanna know the secret that everyone is looking for, the answer that they all are searching for? That answer is Jesus. Colossians, you have the answer, the answer to life's mystery, the answer to everything is Jesus, right? You have the answer to the mystery. Old Epaphras, he wasn't holding out on you. He gave it to you right at the beginning. You have what everyone else is looking for. Christian, check in, right? Do you believe that? Do you believe you have the answer that everyone else is looking for? And if you do, are you building your life around that, right? It's one one thing to say, I've got the answer. It's quite another, like examine your finances, examine how you spend your time, examine how you engage with other people. Is your life actually built around what you say the answer is? Christ, Jesus. Right? And then if, you, if, if we do believe that he is the answer, the one the world is looking for, the answer everyone's searching for, are you sharing that with people who are still searching? See, Paul wasn't just using mystery language here because he knew, oh, I know what's gonna strike a chord with the Colossians, it's this mystery talk, right? No. Like, Paul could offer the Colossians Jesus as the answer to the mystery. You wanna know Why? because Jesus had been exactly that to Paul. He'd been the long-awaited answer to this self-righteous Pharisee. Look at verse 26, right? For millennia, God's people had hungered, they had ached, they had yearned to know the answer to, to the great mystery, to life's biggest question. How is the Lord going to fix what we human beings shattered? And Paul is a Pharisee, he'd poured over the the promises of God, God's words in the Old Testament, trying to gain insight into into the mystery of like, how is God gonna make good on these promises? How is he going to fix what we had so shattered with our sin? And if Paul was like a typical Pharisee of his day, and I would argue he was the typical Pharisee times like the hundredth degree, right? Then he probably figured he had unraveled the mystery of how God was going to work of how God was going to bring restoration to this world. You wanna know what most Pharisees thought? It would happen this way. It would happen once God's people had proven finally their devotion to God by keeping the law well enough to earn uh, God's ear once more. And finally, they would be granted a king, a military warrior who could mobilize the Jews to take back their occupied homeland and, 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 and maybe even take on the world by conquest and storm so that the whole world would be ruled under Abraham's descendants. So that's a lot of the thought that was going around in Paul's day among the Pharisees, right? But it wasn't, it wasn't until the mystery revealed himself personally to Paul in a blinding and glorious light that you can read about in Acts 9 that Paul realized how terribly wrong he'd been. See, the mystery God's answer to a sin-shattered world wasn't that people like Paul get their act together and slaughter the faithless. The mystery 
God's answer to a sin-shattered world instead was God. It was that God would become one of his own people, living perfectly, uh, the, the perfectly right life that no human being could get their act together enough to live. Being, being shattered in the place of a shattered world. That the faithful one dying for the faithless and welcoming the faithless, not just, not just like Paul, but like you and me, into his family. That was the mystery. See, the mystery wasn't, Paul, just get your act together. The mystery was, Paul, King Jesus has acted for you. And that, friends, that mystery is what propelled Paul to mission and sent him around the world talking to everyone that he knew about Jesus. Hey, uh, just, just listen uh, in the language here. This is, this is Paul, remember. This is Paul, the former Jesus hater, right? Listen to how he talks about Jesus now. Verse 27, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What he says later on in verses two and three, the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, Paul had come to know the mystery, the Lord Jesus himself, and to Paul, nothing was more precious to him than the Lord who'd graciously flipped on the light and brought him out of darkness and confusion into his marvelous kingdom. And he wanted that for others, for others like the Colossians. It wasn't enough just to store that knowledge up, be happy in his own salvation. He wanted this for others. Where do you see this? Look at verse 27. He says, mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, who's the in you that he's talking to? Remember, it's the Colossians. Colossians, Gentiles. Those who were historically outside of God's covenant people, the people that he had made promises to. See, part of the wonder of the mystery is that this glorious Christ, Israel's rescuing king, would come to rescue non-Jews, even non-Jews. That Israel's covenant Lord would open up his treasures of riches and knowledge and the promise of glory to folks like the Colossians, folks like us, to include me and you, Gentiles. All right, hey, um, friends, I think we can miss this as Americans. It's too easy uh, in general for us to just sort of simply assume inclusion. Of course we're going to be included, right? Because, and I think in part that's because we live in a culture that uh, we, tends to value, or at least we think we do, uh, a leveled society. One where uh, everyone is equal and no one person is actually above another, right? Which, by the way, is not how most of the rest of the world operates. And I think even here in the United States we kind of hold that value with, uh, you know, some ambivalence, right? I think we Americans, we tend to assume inclusion. In part, uh, because our, our individualism, there's good sides and bad sides to it, but one of the bad sides is our, our, our individualism can make us pretty arrogant, where we tend to think, um, hey, I'm plenty good enough to be included in any sphere. In fact, I should be. 
Why wouldn't I be invited to that group, a part of that organization? If you work hard enough, you put in your, your effort, you can be that person, right? There's good sides to that. Here's the, the, the trouble is we miss out on the glory of what it means to be included where you don't belong. Friends, there are many places we don't belong. Many good places. All right, but even assume, even assume, okay? Assume that in theory, you could roll into the Oscars and you could get a seat there. Assume that you could get a seat on the board of the American College of Surgeons, on the Supreme Court, right? Assume that you could get invited into the home of Michael Jordan or, or Taylor Swift, for example. Assume all that, you still have no claim on the King of England, right? And I want you to, I want you to think. Let, let's assume the King of England decides that for 2024, he's going to give all his subjects a living stipend. Guess what? That wouldn't include you. Why? Because you're not British. You are not one of his in fact, we rebelled against him 250 years ago. Y'all, do you see the wonder? Do you see the wonder of Christ in you? That the king of Israel would make sure, yes, rebellious Paul, but even more rebellious you and me. People have no claim on him at all. Rebe include us as citizens in his kingdom. And more than that, family. Draw us into his home. Friends, we have no claim on him, but he makes us his. He makes us his. And he opens up to us his treasuries, the riches of his glory, the treasures of his knowledge and his wisdom. Friend, isn't that a worthy Lord? Is that not a worthy king? Here's my invitation for you. Um, this one who has made himself known and invites you to know him. This one who offers you everything, but especially himself. Will you turn to him? See, while, while he's offering you a place in his kingdom, while he's giving you the right to come and be a citizen, will, you, will we leave aside our rebellion turn to him, receive from him what we could never earn. And then, hey, as a uh, Christian, if you're someone who's already done that, if you're someone who says, yeah, oh, he's my king, he's mine, praise God for that. Here's my question. Will you live for him? Will you live, I mean really, live into who he has called you to be, into what he has done, into the story that he has given you, right? Will you own his mission as your mission? Will you get out of bed in the morning motivated to see others encounter Jesus, know Jesus, show Jesus, to see the image bearers around you maturing in Christ-likeness, knowing and looking more like Jesus? Holy Cross, as a church, as we head into this next season of life, as we head into a building, is this our mission? Will we do we live to see other people encounter, know, and show Jesus? But even more than that, even more than that, as let a love for people motivate you because you do want to see them look more and more like Jesus. But even more, 
Let Jesus himself be your motivation. Let the glorious Lord, the the preeminent Jesus that we read about in verses 15 through 23, the wonderful mystery of our passage, the Lord who came for you, let him get you out of bed in the morning. Let him be your motivation for doing life. The one who gets you through those rough patches, the one whose honor and whose glory drive you, your motivation for doing life. Your King Jesus, one who's first, only, always. Let's pray. Father, we are quick to lose sight of our story. It's a story written by you, given to us, one that you have called us into graciously and allow us to participate in out of your free joy and your love to have your kids working alongside you. And we lose sight of that. We get so caught up in in our own little lives. And so Father, I pray for Holy Cross, I pray for our church, that you, Lord, your spirit would move in every heart here, drawing those who who have yet to believe in you, drawing them to you as the one who is the life, the answer to all of life's questions. And Father, for the rest of us, sending us out on your mission, that Jesus, you might be exalted as you deserve to be exalted here in Stanton, Augusta County and beyond. Lord, we pray this, because you're worthy of it. We love you. We want to see other people love you too. In your name, amen.